Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Amen. Our scripture reading tonight comes from Joshua chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, uh, please follow along as I read the entirety of this chapter as we begin to come to the conclusion of this book in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 23. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the name of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriage with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Thus far the reading of God's word. Please be seated. As many of you know, I enjoy reading in one of my favorite genres is biographies, and that is because they are true and 
real to life. There's so many good life lessons and seeing how different people react in different situations. And oftentimes you can think of how you would handle such a situation as that. And in that way, you can find comfort and encouragement as well as be challenged in many different ways. Few, if any of us, will have biographies written about us, which is okay. It doesn't mean that our lives are less important than those that have biographies written about them, because we all have our own roles to play. Some of those are on a much smaller stage, but they are no less significant. But I want you to think tonight, if a biography was to be written about you, or if you were to write your own autobiography, what would be the main thrust of that book? What would you hope to accomplish or get across to the people who read it? What impression would you want to leave with them? And I think that is a a significant question because I think it helps us to direct our thoughts to direct our life to think about that which is most significant the legacy if it were that we would want to leave as we come to the end of this book of Joshua we see the first of Joshua's farewell speeches as we see here Joshua is an old man his days are coming to an end He is reflecting on his life. He's trying to boil down that which is most significant and what he wants to get across to the people before he leaves this earth. And what we see is that he speaks nothing of himself, nothing to do with him, but everything to do with the Lord and the Lord's faithfulness to him as well as to the Lord's people. He wants that lesson and that legacy to be left. And that lesson and that legacy is left for us as much as it is left for the Israelites who he is speaking to. And I think his lessons, his legacy points us to what we would want our life and our legacy to look like as well. So we'll look at that in three points tonight. Reflections on of faithfulness, an exhortation towards faithfulness, and then the future goodness or judgment. First, reflections on faithfulness. As mentioned, we are coming to the end of Joshua. And these final chapters are settling into the land. As we have seen, the land has been entered into, it's been conquered, it has been divided, and now they are beginning to settle into this land that God has given to them. And Joshua has led them every step of the way, and he wants them to settle well. His days are about to be numbered, as we see in verse 1, that Joshua was old and well advanced in years, and as he begins his speech, he says, I'm now old and well advanced in years. Joshua most likely is probably 110 years old at this time, 
Remember, he was 40 when he spied out the land, and then he had to wander in the wilderness with all the rest of the Israelites for another 40 years, and now it's been 20 to 30 years of fighting in the land. And so the work is almost done, at least for Joshua, that is. He is about to ride off into the sunset, so to speak. And as you think about Joshua's life, he has literally given his entire life in service to God and to the church, the Old Testament church of Israel. And these final hours and days, you might think that he would say something like this. You know, I've done a good job. I have labored hard. I have been faithful to God and to this nation of Israel. I'm going to take the rest of these days for myself. I'm going to enjoy the rest of the time that the Lord has given me. And so therefore, you're going to find me with a frozen drink in my hand with my legs stretched out by the pool. And better yet, don't find me. Just leave me alone. I've given enough of myself to you all. But that's not what we find, is it? Joshua was a servant to his dying days, concerned for others, concerned for Israel, for the church, for their well-being, not his own. You don't find him poolside, do you? Or on an extended vacation at the Galilean Sea or floating in the Dead Sea. Rather, we see him in these final days summoning all of Israel, all of its elders, all of its heads, all of its judges, all of its officers. And what is it that he wants to say? Well, he wants to exhort all the people, all the leaders, all the elders. And I think Joshua, in a sense, brings a sermon. He's preaching to them. Joshua is a preacher, and as any good preacher would do, he doesn't want to preach about himself. Rather, he wants to preach about God, and specifically the faithfulness of God. He wants to boast in God alone. And that's why he says, I am old and advanced in years, but I don't have to tell you what God has done. Why is that? Because as he says in verse 3, you've seen all that the Lord your God has done for you. You have seen the mighty acts of God on your behalf. You've seen how it is he who is fought. Again, notice that Joshua doesn't say, notice all that I have accomplished. Or even all that we have accomplished. We were great, we were amazing, we were powerful, we defeated all of our enemies, all these nations that were stronger than us, aren't we great? You might think that this would be a great opportunity for for Grandpa Joshua to, to tell a few stories about himself and about these victories and accomplishments that he has done on his behalf. But what you don't see is him talking about himself really at all, from beginning to end. It is about the Lord. 
and specifically about Israel's faithfulness to this faithful Lord. And that is a a lesson that I think we need to pause and that we need to learn and hear once again. The Bible says that we are not to boast. In fact, the only thing that we are to boast in is the Lord himself. Why is this? Because really we have nothing to boast in. Nothing apart from the Lord. If you think about your salvation specifically, we do not come to the Lord because we are smarter, because we are more cunning, because we are brighter, because we have figured things out. No, we have come to Christ only because of the grace of God. That it's his work from beginning to end. Romans 4 verse 2 says this, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Notice that. He's trying to prove that even Abraham was not justified by his works, but justified by faith alone. Because if he was justified by works, he would have something to boast in. But as it says there, we have nothing, even Abraham has nothing to boast in before God. Same thing in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. So indeed, our salvation is a gift of God. And so we cannot boast in that which we have done that has brought us unto that salvation. The same thing goes for our gifts and our talents. Paul says that if we are to boast, we are to make our boast about God. And if he says, if you really want to boast, I'll give you something to boast about. Boast about your weakness. Boast about your insufficiency. As he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. He wants to boast, not in his greatness, but rather in his weakness, so that ultimately God may be glorified and we can boast in what God has done on our behalf. And the reason why we can boast is because we have a faithful God in which to boast upon. Joshua reiterates this. I don't think it's indicated in the text, but I think verse 4, Joshua is quoting what the Lord has said. And that's why I think it begins with that behold. And so it says, behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain. I don't think he is talking about himself, but he is here talking about what God has said, what God has promised. Behold, I, that is God, have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the West. As I said, I think that is a direct quote that goes back to chapter 1. And then he goes on in verse 5 to say, look, the Lord your God has done this. He has and will push them back and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised to you. Notice, quoting God's promises, and then saying, look, God has been faithful. God has fulfilled this promise. He has kept all of his promises. And that is something that we need to reiterate once again in in the world of, of broken promises. 
when most don't keep their promise or their commitment. And as a result, people are jaded. What an opportunity we have to point them to God, who always keeps his promises. As Joshua says here, we are all witnesses of God's faithfulness, of the fulfillment of every one of his promises to them. And so, second, then, we have not only this uh, aspect of of looking at the, the faithfulness of God and these reflections of God's faithfulness, but he goes on, second, then, to give an exhortation towards their faithfulness. And we see there in verse 6 that very important, therefore, just as we saw this morning in 1 Peter, because God is faithful, what is our response? Well, our response is that we are to be faithful to him. And Joshua gives some pretty strong exhortations here. As a preacher, he, in a sense, begins to meddle. He begins to step on some toes. And you might read this passage and think, well, Joshua, come on. Lighten up a little bit. These people have been fighting for many years. They've been faithful. Let them have some time to take it easy. Let them enjoy their peace. You know, he exhorts them to continue to remain faithful. And I think that's important because it's actually during the times of relative peace and ease that we need the most exhortation. Because during times of struggle or difficulties, those things drive us towards spiritual things naturally, right? But when everything is going well, it's almost as if, well, it's nice that the Lord is there, but I'm doing okay right now. And oftentimes what we find is we rely upon ourselves and upon our own strength. And soon we utterly fail and fall into sin. And that happens not only individually, but that happens as a church as well. When the church has a mission, when the church is militant, church is usually much more faithful to God and his ways. But when we or the church rest on our laurels, so to speak, we have a tendency to just settle in and be, take it easy. As once I heard a, a pastor says, when the church sits on its blessed assurance, it usually goes astray. And so Joshua is right here to stir up the troops, to tell them to remain vigilant, to be faithful to the Lord, just as Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. He is saying here, Joshua is saying, keep those fires for the Lord burning. And he exhorts them on several bases. First, he says, to do all that is written in the book of the law. You see that in verse 6. In other words, what God desires is not hidden from you. You don't need to look up into the clouds or read the tea leaves. God has given that which is required to us in the book, in the book of the law, in the, in the Bible as we know it. That, that is the standard of obedience. That is what is required. And, and notice again that this is what was commanded to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. In verses 6 through 8, he says, Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all that the Lord 
uh, all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may good have good success wherever you good go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. That is the Lord's exhortation to Joshua as he begins, as he takes the helm of leading this nation. And now as we come to the end of Joshua's life, what is it that he is passing on to the Israelites? Well, look at verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with the nations remaining, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done this day. Isn't that interesting that he is saying here, what the Lord has told me, that is what I am passing on to you. He told me to stay and keep the book of the law and be faithful to it. And now I am passing on that same word to you. In other words, that word is not just for the leaders. It's not just for the clergy. It's not just for the super spiritual or the spiritual elite. Obedience and faithful is from the top all the way down. It is for all of God's people. And so God's word is for you. As as much as it is for me as a pastor or for we as elders or leadership of this church, even to you as children, the book of the law, this word is given for us to know God as well as to know ourselves and to remain faithful to him. Second, he goes on to say then, do not get comfortable or do not conform. Do not get so comfortable in the land that you intermix with the people so as to conform to their ways or to their thoughts or as it says there in verse 7 you will begin to take on their false gods and you'll begin to take on false worship in verse 12 he says if you marry them and associate with them you will adopt their ways and then he goes on to very clearly tell them what the consequences will be in verse 13 the first consequence is that the Lord will no longer fight for you, but rather these people that you are to drive out will be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Notice what he's saying. He's saying this has been given to you. It's a good and gracious gift of God, but it's to be used in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God himself. And if you fail to use it in that honorable way, then you will face the consequences. In other words, we are to be holy. We are to be separated. We are to be distinct from the rest of the nations. And then third, he goes on to say that we are to love the Lord your God. That this all must come out of a heart that loves. As it says there in verse 11, be careful therefore to love the Lord your God. And so as we even saw this this morning, that this is not just a principle of the 
New Testament. This is a principle in the Old Testament as well. This is a biblical concept. Our greatest duty is to love, as was mentioned before, Jonathan Edwards. It is the root and sum of all virtue. So if all of these themes sound familiar, it's because they are. These are the exact same themes as we have seen in 1 Peter as we have gone through that in the morning. Have we not? As Peter said, we are born again by a living and abiding word. And we are to be obedient children. Not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you must be holy in all of your conduct. And then, as we saw this morning, that we are to love with a sincere and earnest love. Isn't it amazing the consistency of God's word? That even though it comes from thousands of years, written by many and several different human authors, it's ultimately inspired by the same God, the one true God who never changes. That is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what was commanded of the Israelites is what was commanded by Peter to the first century saints, and what is commanded to us as well. And so this exhortation, this sermon, if you would, that Joshua gives is an exhortation to us as much as it is an exhortation to the Israelites. That we too are to know the word of God, that we are to obey and heed it, that we are to live lives that are pleasing to him, lives that would be holy and set apart. And why? Well, it's because we love the Lord our God. He's been so good. He's been so faithful. He has fulfilled every promise. And if that was true then when Joshua gave his sermon, how much more can we say that now? As we have seen how God has loved us and has sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That God has fulfilled every promises, even promises that Joshua was looking forward to but did not see the fulfillment of. And now we look back and see how those promises indeed have been fulfilled and ultimately been fulfilled in Christ. It's that God that we love. Because... He has first loved us. It is that God that we are to be faithful to because he has been so faithful to us. And therefore, this should give us good confidence for the future. And so as we conclude here, we see this third and final point that we see Joshua pointing forward to the future. That there's going to be either future goodness or future judgment for the Israelites. And he concludes this first of farewell speeches in this way in verse 14. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. In other words, he's saying I'm about to die. But what is interesting is that we do not see a man here that is in panic. He's not panicking about his future state. He's confident in God. He's about as confident in God as a person that is ending his life can be. And why is that? Because God has been faithful. Notice he says there at the end of verse 14, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you 
Not one of them has failed. And so as he says, I am about to die, we don't see him nervous or fearful because he said that God has promised and has fulfilled every promise. And so will he fail me now? In the moment of my death, do I think that he will abandon me or not fulfill that which he has promised to me? Do I need to worry? No, absolutely not. Because God is faithful. Just as we saw David having that same confidence. As he says in Psalm 16, O God, in you I take refuge. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. All the Old Testament saints had their hope and confidence in this. And yet you might think that this would be a wonderful way to conclude this sermon that we could just end this sermon on this wonderful upbeat note, this happy note, but we notice that Joshua goes on. And he ends not with this happiness in a word, in a, in a word or in a, in a way, but rather with this future warning, this future judgment. He goes on to say, and God also will be faithful to fulfill his judgment if You do not do those things which are commanded. In fact, he goes to say in verse 15, The Lord will destroy you and remove you from the land if you transgress this covenant. If you go the way of the world and the other gods, the anger of the Lord will kindle against you. And this warning is not pleasant, is it? But it is right. God has not withheld one good thing. He's fulfilled it all. And so you, people of Israel, are without excuse. And you know, that is a word that is given to us as well. This morning I was talking to the new members class and talking about the sacrament of baptism and talking about how God has given this sign and that we should be reminded that if he has placed this sign upon us that we are his and that our children are his and that we need to remind ourselves we need to remind our children that if God has put this sign upon you then you have no right to rebel that you need to come to faith in the Lord in fact God has been so good and gracious to you to include you in the covenant of grace that if we do not respond, if we go the way of the world, then I think our judgment would be worse than the rest of the judgment of those that never had the opportunity to hear. Surely that is the warning that Jesus gives Israel, that your judgments, for those people that were listening to Jesus, he says your judgment will be worse than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Because you have seen the full manifestation of God's promises. And the same should be said to us. In the light of what God has done for us. We have no excuse but to rightly respond. 
And this shouldn't just scare us into doing the right thing, but rather it should lay those two things before us, that we have the way of the Lord or we have the way of the world. The way of the Lord is that of the faithful God that has been good to us, has been good, is good, will be good, and will bring future good to those who trust in him. Or there is your way. Or the way of the world. And that is ultimately the way of death and of judgment and of destruction. In fact, in chapter 24, Joshua will lay this clear choice before them. And say to them, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And both of those things, as I mentioned, are held forth before us as well. The way of blessing or the way of destruction. And that is not wrong to do even as Joshua concludes his sermon in this way. Paul does the same in Romans 11. He says, note then the kindness and also the severity of God. God is a gracious and kind God, but God is also a wrathful and judgmental God that will pour out his wrath and judgment upon the world. And if this word was to the Israelites... They're to have goodness and confidence in the Lord as well as to heed the judgment of God. And we need to heed it all the more. Because we know the fulfillment, do we not? We have seen the light and revelation that only Joshua and the Israelites could see from afar. That we have seen the greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen that he came first and foremost, not in judgment, but has come in salvation, that he has taken our judgment upon himself so that we may receive that salvation. He has taken the cursed death of the cross upon himself so that we would not have to face the anger and destruction that Joshua talks about here. And if he died and was buried and yet rose again. It's in this that we should also have confidence and hope. Just as David had confidence and hope when he said, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, for you have not allowed your Holy One to see corruption. We know who that Holy One is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that our Redeemer lives, and as a result, we shall live with Him. And so, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should have full assurance of our salvation, that our faith is not based upon our good works and deeds, but what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the sole and exclusive way of salvation, even as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as the old hymn says, those who trust in him wholly, will find him wholly true. God is indeed faithful in all of his ways. And so, even as Joshua could face death with confidence, we should face death with even more confidence than Joshua. Because the greater Joshua has given of himself for us. Not one word has failed, or ever will fail, of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. Amen. Let us pray.
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and goodness to us, Lord, as Joshua rejoices in who you are and how you have been so faithful and good to us, Lord. We should all the more rejoice and be thankful and grateful for what you have done on our behalf. And Lord, as a result, may we be faithful to you. May we live in obedience. And may those ways of eternal life and the ways of eternal hell and destruction be set before us again so that again we may see what a blessing and a privilege it is to be in Christ, to receive that life anew. Lord, that is the way that we desire. And may it be through your Holy Spirit, by your grace. We pray this in his name. Amen.